Good morning. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh. We are delighted to have you here for worship. Old friends and new, please pick up the friendship pad and pass it to everyone in your pew. Please sign your name so we are aware of your presence and we can call and all and greet one another by name at the conclusion of worship. If you wish to talk to a Stephen minister confidentially, the Stephen minister on duty today is Tim Smith and is available in the narthex wearing a special name tag. Take a look at the bulletin for details of upcoming events and additional announcements. And, uh, our first announcement is Dr. Douthit. Good morning, everybody. Oh, this is what you look like from this side. <laughs> <laughs> we, we know you by the back of your head, uh, and you probably don't know us because we live behind you. So I thought it would be great as we begin another school year and we begin another set of music rehearsals and activities to introduce our music staff to you so that you will know who's leading you when you're singing, playing, ringing, and that sort of thing. Uh, welcome to our staff, Dr. Mary Carlson. Dr. Carlson is going to be doing the bells, the handbells. And handbells are fun and available for everyone, grades 7 and above. And we're having a handbell open house on Monday evening, September the 28th at 6.30. You can come in the music room. You can come. You can pick up a bell. You don't even have to do anything, but you could just come, look at the bell, talk to Dr. Carlson, and think about being in the bell ensemble, which will begin the rehearsal the following Monday, the first Monday of October at 6.30. And of course, Dr. Bruce Frank needs no introduction to you, uh, our organist, and we're delighted to have him with us and hear him. Remember, uh, the second Sunday of every month, Dr. Frank will be doing an extended prelude so that you can enjoy <laughs> so you can enjoy hearing the marvelous organ that we have played by our marvelous organist. Uh, and we would like to suggest that it might be a great opportunity to greet one another after the extended prelude and share your, your week that way. And then, of course, Dee Dee Holmes needs no introduction either. She works with our Logos Choir, and she wants to tell you a little bit about Logos and maybe a little bit something special about what's going to happen at the end of the year in March once Logos is finished. We're already planning ahead, you see. Thank you, James. As um, the children uh, have met already for the first time for Logos, and unfortunately this week we're going to be off-site because of the penny pincher sale. So we'll be seeing you in the music room next week. And that program is for our kindergarten through sixth graders. The kindergarten, they both those age, all those age groups get to sing. And also when you're in third and fourth graders, we introduce you to our hand chimes. And if you're in fifth or sixth grade, you get to start on the handbells. So, and then Mary's going to take seventh graders on up. So we hope to provide that opportunity for many of our children. Um, as most of you know, every other year we do a musical, and on the years we don't do a musical, we do some kind of a spring program. But this year we're thinking about putting some uh, puppet ministry together. So that will start at the end of Logos, which generally goes through the end of March. 
and Easter. And after that, we'd like to have a puppet ministry, and maybe we're going to throw in some handbells too. So look for some information about that. We'd love to get more people involved in the spring. People kind of disappear once Logos ends, and we'd like to keep that going right through and through May at least. So we'll be looking forward to seeing you on Wednesday afternoons. And of course, the choir that sits behind you is one of the best choirs in the land. And, <laughs> and you are welcome to join them uh, at 7.30 on Wednesday evening. We've already started our Christmas music, uh, and we would welcome your voice. There are no auditions required, although there is a cooking audition, because we want to see that you can bring something good to the picnic. Uh, no, there's not really. Uh, but but we, would, uh, we would welcome any new members to join us on Wednesdays at 7.30. If you'd like to join us through Christmas or you'd like to just try out the choir, uh, we would welcome you to sing with this fine group. But we appreciate the opportunity to lead you musically, and we thank you for listening to our words as well as our music. Thank you. Announcement number two. Uh, Joyce Drake is going to talk about the penny pincher sale. Well, the penny pincher sale has arrived this week. Check your bulletins today. It will tell you when and what time you can do your drop-offs. Um, After the coffee hour today, I need your help and the teens to set up the tables for the sale. All the tables will be in the fellowship hall. I'll have lots of maps to where they go. And if we get a lot of hands, it won't take too long. And also, I still have spots on my sign-up sheet that I need for, for workers for the penny pincher sale. So come and see me, and I hope a lot of you will stay after the coffee hour to get those tables put up. Thank you. And, uh, please join us for refreshments in the fellowship hall at the end of worship. Uh, we will begin our service with the prelude that is not extended.
Good morning and welcome to worship. You've noticed a few younger people in our chancel this morning. I give thanks and praise for Adam Peterson helping us out as our presiding elder this morning. And I'm also delighted to welcome into the pulpit Emily Oldfield. Emily is our beginning call to worship person. And you might have recognized her from several of our previous church musicals or many of the times that she has sung and rung for us. Emily, thank you for helping us out this morning. You're welcome. Please join me in the call to worship. Psalm 1. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. Or take the path that sinners tread. Or sit in the seat of scoffers. But our delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water. Which yield their fruit in its season and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let us worship the risen God. Please join me in the prayer of the day. O God of light and life, as the sea roars, your name is praised. Waves pounding the shore remind us of your grandeur. By your creative design, birds fly, fish swim, and creatures in the forests and meadows leap and run. 
All creation chants in praise of your plan for them. As you make our joy complete in the gift of your Son, Christ Jesus our Savior, we worship you with hearts, hands, and voices in songs of glad adoration. Amen. The word that somewhat bothers me a little bit in Psalm 1 was that word scoff, the scoffers who sit in seats. Just sounds bad, doesn't it? But scoffers are people who look down upon others who commit the same sinful acts that they themselves commit. And in that sense, we all scoff. And so we bring a prayer like this to confess our sin. O God, hear our confession, for we still dwell in darkness. We are afflicted and crushed by a sense of inadequacy. When perplexed, we despair that there may be no hope. Persecution leaves us feeling forsaken. Strike us down. We assume we're destroyed. We hear that Christ resides like a rising star within us. Transform our whole being so that we live in that truth. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell And through him God was pleased to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ we are forgiven. Our psalm for today is Psalm 148, and it is one of those psalms of ascent that the pilgrims might have been singing as they were mounting up towards Jerusalem. What's fascinating about Psalms 146 up through 150 is that each of them begins and ends with praise the Lord. And we've been doing that all throughout our start of worship this morning, and it's a reminder that we can continue to do that all throughout our lives. Praise lifts us from whatever we might have been thinking or feeling. Praise unites us with this great cloud of witnesses around us and links us to the living God who finds such joy in all of us as God's creation. You know that we have, for this fall period, been embarking upon a theme of stars. And so you will find in this psalm a mention of stars. The Hebrew word found there is Kohav. So now you can tell your friends that might be celebrating Rosh Hashanah that you know the Hebrew word for star, Kohav. I invite you to hear God's word to you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his host. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. 
He established them forever and ever. He fixed their bounds, which cannot be passed. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind fulfilling his command. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds. Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and rulers of the earth. Young men and women alike, old and young together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his faithful, for the people of Israel who are close to him. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And sharing the word of the Lord is a joy for me, and it's one that I like to share. So I invite all of our young people up into the chancel with me this morning. I have surprises for you. Come on up. Come on up, CJ. I need your help, buddy. Uh huh. I need some Star Wars sounds. Anybody going to help me with some Star Wars sounds? Aaron, can you help me with a Star Wars sound? I love Star Wars. I love Star Trek. I can trek all day long, right? Live long and prosper. So does anybody have any idea about how this thing glows in the dark? How's it glow in the dark, Rachel? Uh huh. It's lit from within. There's an internal mechanism that lights it from within. Do you guys know how these things work? Let's get these out, because this is what I have for everybody. Miss Hilger, would you help me? Miss Is Hilger, would you two help me? Oh, you love these. Awesome. I need your help passing these out, Mrs. Hilger. Would you mind making certain that everybody gets one, please? Everybody want one? Yeah? Talk to Emma and Sophie, okay? Everybody's going to get one. There are plenty. If you run out, here, Emanator. Got them? Okay. Everybody's going to get one. Now, how do these things work? Anybody know? Do you know how this works? How does it work? What do we do? You crack them and they go up? Show me. Oh, here, take more. Show me. Okay, you guys knew the instructions to these, but what if I didn't know the instructions to these? How would I know how they work? How do they work? You put them together. There's a little thing there that you can put them together, right? And if it weren't so bright, shiny, all of these would be glowing. So crack them. But if we didn't know the instructions... Wait a minute, there are instructions here. Got extras? You want to take one back to Alex? There you go, huh? All right. Well, you need one. Everybody got one? Okay. So the instructions say, do not puncture or cut the product, but to start, shake, and crack. All right? If I didn't have the instructions or if you weren't here to help me, how could I possibly have known how these work? They're lit from within by this chemical illumination, but we want to be bright as shining stars. You made a circle, CJ. That's great. 
Now, we just read from a Hebrew scripture, and we learned that star was kohav. But our New Testament word for star is normally aster. And aster is like a pretty flower, like Miss Smith's pretty flower, right? Aster is like a pretty flower. The other Greek word for star is phosphorus. And what you're experiencing with this chemical illumination in here is a phosphorus-like reaction. It's making it mix and hit. And if I didn't have the instructions for how to do this, I wouldn't know how to do it. Similarly, in life, how are we supposed to know? How are we supposed to know how we are supposed to grow up in life? Do you guys come out of your mommy's wombs with an instruction manual? No, you don't. Parents kind of have to make it up along the way, but there's actually, there might be an instruction manual that parents and grandparents and those who love their kids can follow. Can you guess what that instruction manual might be? Any guesses? Mr. Anderson. The Bible. Dude, well done. Have an extra one. Take it to your hockey team. Get them illuminated. All right. So the Bible. Do you guys know what Bible stands for sometimes? B-I-B-L-E. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Wow. You know what this church likes to do? This church is so generous on all kinds of fronts. We do mission everywhere. That's really important to us. But to do mission, we think everybody should be equipped with basic instructions before leaving earth. And we're going to make certain that our third graders have their Bibles. So if you're a third grader, please stand up. Wow, look at our third graders this morning. Are we excited, Ms. Fantuzo? Okay. I have some helpers here. Ms. Wilborn's going to be helping me with our third and our eighth grade Bibles. And we have some Bibles to pass out. So as we pass them out and... As you receive your Bible, I want you to say your name nice and loud so everybody here can be excited about the fact that you have your instruction manual and you're going to be the ones to help us out with basic instructions before leaving Earth, right? So, Aaron, I need you to say your name nice and loud. Aaron. There you go. Whole name, whole name, whole name. Shoot. There you go. Jason. Jason Shoe. There you go, bud. Here you go. Miss Anderson. Where'd Anna go? Stand up. Where's Anna? Right in front of me. Hello, sweetheart. Anna Anderson. There you go, hon. Sophia's got hers? Sophia Fantuzo. Excellent. Nate. Come here, God. Nice and loud, hon. Nate. Whole name, whole name. You can do it. Nate Wallbaum. Congratulations. Well done. I think I know where you are. Nice and loud. Wes Mitchell. Good job, buddy. Congratulations. Miss Lauren's not here. Sammy. Come on, bud. Sam Fagan. All right, Miss Smith. Come here, sweetheart. Reed Smith. There you go, sweetheart. Well done. Shall we give a big hand to our third graders getting their Bibles? Awesome.
Now, if I haven't embarrassed them enough already, now I get to embarrass the eighth graders. So will my eighth graders please come forward? Come on, come on, come on. You can do it. And while they're coming forward, I have a lovely woman here who is our, one of our elders, one of our youth elders, Emily Wilborn. And Emily has a story to tell you about how important it is to have your Bible. Emily, why are the eighth graders getting their Bibles now? Okay, so hi, I'm Emily Wilborn, in case you don't know me. Um, so last year, around January, I was talking to one of the mentors to last year's confirmands about, at Logos about how her confirmand wasn't using their third grade Bible because they were, sort of, they were thinking, I'm eighth grade, you know, I want an older Bible. So they were using one of the church's Bibles, which is great. But personally speaking, from my experience getting confirmed, I want to grow with my Bible and use a Bible that I would use for the rest of my high school, college, and maybe even the rest of my life. So I went to CE, being a youth elder, and I brought to the attention that it was really important that we get these kids' Bibles that they can use and that they'll have for the rest of their life and that they'll feel comfortable using and mark up with their uh, mentors. They'll write in it, put sticky notes in it. So... We got uh, approval, and now we have eighth grade Bibles. Well done, Emily, and thank you for advocating. And they are substantial Bibles. They're heavy. They're great. They have all kinds of study notes. This is exactly the Bible that I got when I had to go to seminary. Pastor Bruce had one very similar to this. And so our eighth graders were delighted to present these to you. Annie, can you make your way all the way up here? Just ask people to move a little bit. There you go, honey. Congratulations. Thank you, sweetheart. Oh, I've got a halo. Much appreciated. Miss Annie Glennon, congratulations. Max, where are you? Did you come up this side? There you go. Mr. Max Murray, welcome. Congratulations. I saw Evelyn up there. Come on, my dear. Come on, Ms. Van Arsdale. There you go. Congratulations, Evelyn Van Arsdale. Emma Walbaum, congratulations. Well done, my dear. Very excited for you. Welcome. Aiden Bachman, come on, Mr. Bachman, I need you. He's already upstairs? Okay, thank you very much. We have a couple other Bibles here for some folks who are not here. Is Calypso in? Okay. She's already helping out. So for those folks who are already helping out, these are our eighth graders, and you'll get a chance to see them during our start of the month worships as their worship assistants with us. Emily, thank you for helping me out. Friends, I hope that you will take these basic instructions before leaving Earth and use them so that we can all be lit from within like shining phosphorescent stars. Have fun with these tonight because they won't last all the way through Halloween. (laughs) Shall we pray? God in heaven, we give you thanks for basic instructions and for more complex instructions like love your neighbor and love your enemies. May we find ways to follow your word and to do so with such joy in our hearts that we radiate out and invite others into our fellowship. We pray this all with confidence in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Miss Maddie, I see you have a prayer for us. Thank you. We'll add this to the Children's Weekly Offering. 
Well done, my dear. You all have a great time in the kingdom. Thank you very, very much. And congratulations to our third and eighth graders. Thank you, dear. Some people want to know whether or not we ever have a word from God in our age, and the answer is yes, all the time. God speaks to us through the Bible. In this case, Jesus is speaking and his words are recorded. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Our epistle lesson for today is one that we normally do not read. As a matter of fact, we don't normally read from Peter at all. Peter is not normally in the lectionary, but we chose this scripture today because our theme for these two months is stars. And star or stars appears in the Old and New Testament approximately 66 times, depending upon your translation. We already know that the Hebrew word for star is kohav, but the most commonly used Greek word in the New Testament for star is aster. Aster. We get that lovely flower from the word aster. And as you might have been aware from bulletins or good news, if you bring a guest to church to any event, we will thank you by giving you an aster. So let me know when you bring guests to church. The one place in the Bible that does not use that Greek word aster for star is in our reading for today where we read about the morning star. And the Greek word there is phosphorus, from which we get phosphorescent or the chemical understanding of phosphorus. Peter is reminding us in the opening verses of his letter that Jesus loved and forgave. And he's doing this because there have been false teachers and prophets going about saying, if you want to have God's love, you have to do these things. You have to follow these rules. You have to essentially earn God's grace. Peter's reminding them, no. Peter provides hope as a motive for righteous and very, very generous living. So with that introduction, I invite you to hear God's word to you. Peter writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father, with that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on that holy mountain. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star has risen in your hearts. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy or scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by human will. But men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
It is such a treat to have the choir back. Thank you. Yes, I agree. Indeed. It's funny because just last night, both Bruce and I received a, an email from Dick Burton, and he did not know that you were going to sing Jesus Loves Me this morning. He was forwarding a rewriting of Jesus Loves Me for seniors. Maybe you've seen it. Jesus loves me, this I know, though my hair is white as snow, though my sight is growing dim, still he bids me trust in him. Not a bad rendition. I preferred yours. <laughs> Are you ready for some football? If you're a New England Patriot fan, leave. did really well last week against the Colts. I'm sorry, Cam. Sorry, man. And I'm hoping that they're going to do just as well against the Patriots today. Sorry, Dave. Sorry. I, I already apologized to Judy Messenger this morning, so you know, I'm, I'm covered with it already. But Maybe some folks are already at Orchard Park because thanks to Aaron Reichman, he's been streaming our live services so you can check us out as we're, if you're away. And I'm hopeful that the Bills will do well. I think many of you know that I'm not the greatest of football fans and I don't have the best of memory, but I do have a memory from the 1991 Super Bowl. The truth is this. It comes from a headline. And the headline was prompted by Scott Norwood. Who remembers Scott Norwood? Yeah, yeah, and we're all remembering Scott Norwood because he's the guy who was playing for the Buffalo Bills, and the Buffalo Bills hadn't won a major championship since 1965. But on that day in 1991, it looked as if the ball was going to bounce our way, back and forth with the New York Giants. With seconds to go, we were just a point down. There was only time for one more play, so from the 29-yard line, they brought out Scott Norwood, and he went through his wonderful routine. He was as dependable as snow in Buffalo. He put his head down. He blocked out the whole crowd. He got a feel for the timing. He waited for the snap, and he kicked the ball. When he looked up, he realized that it was going wide and to the right. Oh, man. The entire other side erupted with glee. Everybody around here was just crushed. And Norwood hung his head. No second chance, no reprieve, no regrace. He had to live with the natural consequences. You know, parenting books tell us that natural consequences are the best way to teach someone a really good lesson. How many of us have learned tough lessons that way? Not being selected for the school play, being passed over for the team, not getting your dream job, having to settle for your second or third choice for the prom, experiencing painful health problems that might have been prevented if you just had a little bit healthier habits, having gossip mongers turn on us, performing poorly because the night before we just wanted to do one more thing or watch one more YouTube video or watch one more episode of the Orange is the New Black. 
And then we get up the next morning and we just can't move. Natural consequences do teach us lessons, but man, they can just feel devastating. Peter, our apostle, knew what natural consequences felt like. Having denied Jesus three times, he knew the guilt and shame of having turned on not just his friend, but this was his savior. Peter was the one who called him the Messiah, the anointed one. Well, thank heaven, on Easter Sunday, Peter got a reprieve. He got God's grace. He experienced forgiveness in the resurrection appearance of Jesus Christ. And he knew in his heart of hearts, despite what he had done, what it was like to be forgiven. And so he dedicated the rest of his life to sharing the freedom of forgiveness, the gift of grace, and the star quality of being lit from within with God's love. The Christians to whom Peter was writing also knew about natural consequences. You see, Peter's two letters were addressed to the churches in the five Roman provinces in Asia Minor. That's roughly equivalent to modern-day Turkey right now. These first-century Christians, though, had never known or been taught by Jesus personally. Jesus never made it up that far. He didn't ground past Tyre and Sidon. These Roman citizens were Gentiles, not Jewish converts, who had been raised in a Greco-Roman culture. And that Greco-Roman culture was suspicious, to say the least, of Christianity. You see, Romans feared that Christ's teachings would reverse established hierarchical relationships and that women might step out of place with men or slaves might step out of place with masters or individual citizens might step out of place with the centralized state. The letters of Peter attempted to allay those suspicions by encouraging Christians to imitate Christ by sharing the freedom of forgiveness, the gift of grace, and that star-studded quality of being lit from within by God's love. Hoping to avoid the natural consequences of the Roman authorities' anti-Christian suspicions, these first-century Christians did what anybody would do when faced with a hostile culture around them. They started to listen to themselves, to false teachers and prophets, and the voices in their own heads. And they started saying, as these false teachers were encouraging them, to shut themselves off from the rest of the world, to be very exclusive, not letting anybody else in. And they started thinking, we're better off than everyone else. I'm righteous. I know how to follow the law. I know exactly what I'm doing, and y'all are just a bunch of hooey. These false teachers preached a piety that sought to dishonor those who did not believe as they believed and maligned Roman authority. Peter looked at them and said that this was the furthest thing from Christ's mind. Remember, Peter had been with Christ. He knew what Christ was teaching. Christians, as Jesus had said, are to love their enemies and to pray for those who persecute them, the world pressing in around them. And this is why Christianity can seem so difficult to them then and to us now. With all the pressures around us, we are utterly dependent, as early Christians were then, we are utterly dependent upon the fellowship of like-minded individuals who are trying to support one another, who are trying to interpret these basic instructions before leaving earth. 
utterly dependent upon this kind of mutually supportive fellowship. Peter preached the living hope of Jesus Christ. And as he wrote this morning, this hope burns as brightly as the morning star rising in our hearts. Peter reminded them and us how much God loved them, right, this relationship, and how much God wanted them to love one another, right? When we forget how loved we are, the power of God is quenched, and the light of Christ, that phosphorescent spark, is utterly blacked out. Instead of being powered by love, we become powered by anything else, by fear, by hate, by anger, by greed, and all the things getting in the way of our relationship with God and with one another. We give in to those false teachers and prophets, and we delude ourselves into thinking that our love of power is stronger than the power of love. Now today, we don't tend to equate power with love as much, but with wealth, right, amongst other things. Do you have any idea who scholars consider to be the richest person of all time? And no, it's not comb over Donald Trump. (laughs) And it's not Bill Gates or Warren Buffett. It's in fact a man named Jacob Fugger, F-U-G-G-E-R. Go ahead and Google him. He's in there. He's in Wikipedia. Fugger, F-U-G-G-E-R. He's from Augsburg, Germany. He lived in the formative years of the capitalist age, around 1429 to 1525, and he was Europe's first millionaire. He may have been the richest man in history, according to the Wall Street Journal. His favorite saying was, get this, the king reigns, but the bank rules. And he was the bank. He was known as Fugger the Rich and died leaving two million guilders, or more than seven tons of gold. He understood that people considered him unchristian and unbrotherly, but he waved off those attacks with logic, saying, Many in the world are hostile to me. They say I am rich. I am rich by God's grace, without injury to any man. When Fugger said that the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V, who was the most powerful ruler in Europe at the time, would not have become emperor without him, he was not exaggerating. Not only did Fugger pay the bribes that secured his elevation, but Fugger had also financed Charles' grandfather and taken his family, remember the Habsburgs, from mediocre obscurity to full center stage. Fugger made his mark in other ways, too. He roused commerce from its medieval slumber by persuading the Pope to lift the ban on money lending. That's where that started. Usury became okay. He engineered a shady financial scheme that unintentionally provoked Luther to write his 95 theses. You know, the document that triggered the Reformation and got churches where they are today? Fugger changed history because he lived in an age when, for the first time, money made all the difference in war and hence in politics. And Fugger had money. He had earned it by mining, banking, but he also sold textiles, spices, and jewels, and he traded in holy relics like bones of martyrs and supposed splinters of the cross. He minted papal coins and funded the first regiment of Swiss papal guards. When he died in 1525, his fortune came to just under 2% of European economic output, and that's how we know that he was richer than even John D. Rockefeller. Fugger was the first documented millionaire because in the generation preceding him, the Medici clan used to keep their records 
but their records only showed five digits. Fugger's, seven digits. Fugger was the first to live that way. Do you think his lifestyle brought him joy or phosphorescence? You be the judge. He had few friends, only business associates. His only child was born out of wedlock. His nephews, to whom he relinquished his empire, disappointed him. While on his deathbed, while no one at his, with no one at his side except his paid assistants, his wife was with her lover. Before he died, he composed his own epitaph. Now, this was utterly unheard of because this was pre-Renaissance. And pre-Renaissance, we didn't even have things called portraits. Albrecht Dürer had Jacob Fugger sit for one of the first portraits ever. People would never have thought to have been so individualistic at that time. It was more of a community nature because people realized that they needed one another in order to survive. But Fugger, no. Give me a portrait. And his epitaph reads, To God, all-powerful and good, Jacob Fugger of Augsburg, Germany, ornament to his class and to his country, imperial counselor to Maximilian I and Charles V, Second to none in the acquisition of extraordinary wealth, in liberality, in purity of life, and the greatness of soul. As he was comparable to none in life, so after death is not to be numbered among the mortal. Wealth is not a bad thing. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. We are blessed. Wealth is not a bad thing. It's the only thing that mattered in his life. That's where we run into problems, friends. When God promised to bless Abraham in Genesis 22, God said, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven. All of us mortals are Abraham's offspring. We are stars sharing the freedom of forgiveness, the grace of God, and that star quality of being lit from within with God's love. Wouldn't we all like to consider ourselves stars? One of my favorite poets uses California as a codename for a lifestyle where everyone's a star. Bono's lyrics paint a world that is shallow and that drags your heart down. And then Bono says that shallowness, as hard as it was, took him to a place where he needed to be. He has grown up since living that California lifestyle. Stardom wasn't the road to joy. It only brought him grief. And then he had an epiphany, that star moment, right? He woke up and decided that life should be driven by something else. And so he writes the, the lyrics to his chorus. Yeah, there is no end to love. There is no end to love. When we love and are loved in return, that's what makes life worth living. Even when we make mistakes big and small, because we all make them. And natural consequences can be tough, but they don't have to define or limit us. Who remembers Paul Harvey? Would you like the rest of the story for Scott Norwood? So our kicker, for a couple of days, thought of the missed kick and couldn't get that moment out of his mind. Couldn't sleep, couldn't eat. Never thought that he would be able to get up again. He was still upset when the team returned to Buffalo. In spite of the loss, the city hosted a big to-do 
25 to 30,000 people showed up. Maybe you were amongst them. Norwood attended and took his place on the platform way in the back, hiding the whole time. But his fans had something else in mind. In the middle of a civic leader's speech, this chant began. We want Scott. He's going to the back. He's hiding behind his friends. We want Scott. Finally, the civic leader's totally interrupted because we want Scott. His teammates push him to the front. And do you know what happened when he finally looked up and said, what? They gave him a standing O. He'd missed the kick. He'd made a mistake. He was living out the natural consequences. But that community wanted him to know that he was one of them. They gave him the gift of grace, the freedom of forgiveness, and reminded him that he could be lit from within with the stark quality of God's love because they were pouring it out on him. The Bible says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Thousands upon thousands of saved saints, stars, every one of them, are looking down on us. You know some of them from your Bible. Abraham, Sarah, David, Ruth, Mary, Joseph, Paul, and our writer today, Peter. But you also know some more intimately, and they you. My grandmother. Your parents. A child we lost. A lover. A coach. A good friend. They're all looking down upon us. Do you see them? They're chanting our name. We want Scott. Fill in your name. Don't quit. It's worth it. Try again. Pick yourself up. We may have missed a goal, but we are still God's stars. And with this great cloud of witnesses supporting us together, friends, we can reach for the stars. Grateful to God for his word shared with us lively by Carrie today. We bring this prayer. O oh God, as you gifted us in creation and sent us your Son, we come before you in response to Christ's gift of love. By your Spirit, enable us to bear fruit and overcome the world. Faith, accept our gifts. and our commitment to labor on behalf of all your children. Through our work, may they be led to believe in your word. Amen.
fellow who had been a member here for a long time, Francis Cutter, passed away this weekend, and his service will be on Tuesday at 5 p.m. at the Anthony Funeral Home. Some of you are going to want to greet Dan Trina because on Wednesday he became a new grandpa for the first time. We've been asked to pray for Matthew Sartain. He's having surgery this week. We've been asked to pray for Andy Desmond, Marge McKenzie's nephew. Andy recently had a small stroke and is recovering at home. We've been asked to pray for Kristen Shakeshaft, to pray for her husband, John, who is now in New York City Hospital, waiting a triple organ transplant. And the family asked for prayers, for peace. And we've asked, been asked to pray for Alan Cohen. Alan is in hospice for cancer, and his young family is distraught that he is there. Thank you, Bruce. Many prayer concerns. And we add amongst those a prayer for Jen Lake's sister, who glorious gave, gloriously gave birth yesterday to a lovely girl, Mackenzie Isabel Malam. They're in Hawaii, a beautiful paradise. But what we're praying for for this little baby is that she, at 23 weeks, and her parents be sustained through the many procedures that she'll be undergoing over the next few weeks and months. We're also praying for Dick Burton's 79th birthday, which he just enjoyed this past Friday. And we're giving thanks and praise for the life of Van Travis, the flowers in our chances, chancellor to remind us of his beautiful, beautiful life. His birthday would have been this week. And we're also giving thanks and praise for an anniversary. So to Dave and Lori Hill, happy fifth anniversary this week, and congratulations. Please join me in prayer, friends. God, our gracious host, whose servants sought to encourage others, we join the throng who sing your praises and reach for the stars. We stand before your throne, redeemed through faith in Christ our Savior. We gather as sisters and brothers of your covenant family, called by Christ to avoid temptations and equipped to follow his example in virtuous living. You provide us with mercy, and your grace gives us hope. We give you thanks for Christ Jesus, whose spirit abides with us constantly, the source of grace that continues to refresh us. Make known your will in the decisions that face us. Surrounded by such star-powered witness, may we not shrink from our commitment to serve, and we confess anew that in you alone abides our hope of salvation. We find many reasons to praise you, and we join with those who celebrate new births or anniversaries, and we join for people who are suffering and sorrowing and looking for miracles. May they look, expecting to find them, and may you accompany them in the journey. We pray all these things confidently because we pray them in the name of your Son, our Savior, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
announcement to families of our eighth graders. I'm looking forward to seeing you up in the youth room for our 1130 confirmation orientation and retreat. I get to string these eighth graders up over at Camp Arrowhead at YMCA. It's going to be fabulous. We'll all come back in one piece, I assure you. I also wanted to share with you that I am thankful for this panoply of stars. But there are a couple stars missing this morning. Judy and Kathy and Anna Mae and Tom were not able to worship with us this morning because they didn't have somebody to sit with them. Makes me sad. If you would like, it's easy to sit with our friends and you get the first crack at donuts. Come see me. Love to have you be amongst our stars. May you take that light from within. May you radiate it brightly and show the grace of God and the freedom of forgiveness. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each and every one of us this day and forevermore. Amen.
I don't see the date. I think it's Saturday. Oh, okay.